Uh, good morning, Calvary. Hey, nice to see you guys. Nice to be here. I'm so blessed and uh, have had a great time. Uh, uh, Pastor Kendrick's been kind of walking me around, showing me different things, and had a chance to meet some of you guys, and uh, I'm really blessed by all that. And, I, and, I'm, and this is a beautiful sanctuary, and so thank you for having me here. Thank you, Pastor Kendrick, for having you here. I want to introduce to you guys my, my, my family here. This is my wife, Charmaine. We're uh, celebrating our uh, 20th anniversary coming up very soon. So, yes, all right. I like to call her my first wife, yes, and so we're very excited, and um, that's my oldest son right there, that's Jacob, and he is 14, and so yeah, he's a tall guy, but, uh, and, but he's great, he's, a, he's an awesome kid, and my youngest son is uh, Matthew, he's actually at the, uh, the kids thing, I told him, hey, they have donuts there, and he's like, oh, well... I'm going there. All right, so yes. And uh, so I am um, a pastor at uh, First Southern Baptist Church of Anaheim and a college pastor there, okay? And I'm also, I also uh, teach. We have a school there, so I teach uh, different subjects from Bible to physics, chemistry, history, all those kinds of things. And it's, uh, it's a very, uh, it's, I love that job. And I love the fact because a lot of times we're a Christian school. And many of our students are international kids. And so there's a lot of kids that come to our school that have never heard the gospel. They've actually never like, thought about Jesus, thought about God. And uh, there are some kids who go there and they think that I am a fool for talking about God. They'll laugh at me and everything. And my, my goal is to, like, just to, to connect with them, you know, help them to see there's truth into this. Right? And just, just have that dialogue and help them to understand. And some will follow God and, and praise God. Uh, the, just over the past few weeks, there's been two kids that have, that have uh, accepted Jesus into their hearts. And again, these guys, they had zero idea of who God was. At least one kid had zero idea of who God was. Another kid, I've been talking to him for years. And, you know, but, but praise God, you know, like uh, lives are changing. And God is still at work. And, and that's the thing is, is, is with our lives, this book of Ecclesiastes, as, we, as you guys have been studying it, it's a, it's a heavy book, right? It's kind of like, like a lot of serious things going on there. And, and the main question that Solomon continues to ask is, is life really worth living? You know, and I deal with teenagers. So there's always, there's always like this idea that my life is like falling apart. Okay, and I like to help them to see that there is more to this life than than what you see right here and right now. And this is a this is a great question that even the youngest of uh, uh, of the people in our school will ask. You know, like there is this level of of desire to know answers to these very important questions. And as Solomon uh, kind of goes through this, he talks about how life is meaningless. Right? And I'm sure you guys have gone through a lot of this. Life is meaningless, that nothing lasts, right? And, uh, and um, uh, you know, that guy Elon Musk, he, he started SpaceX because he wanted to colonize Mars so that just in case something happens to this planet, we're going to have a backup, right? So we make sure that, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. But the reality is, man, if, when, when, when things end here, it's going to end. Okay, it doesn't matter what, what planet you're on, that's the reality. 
Right? When our star starts to, to die, it's going to expand and it's going to swallow us up no matter where you're at. Right? And so it's crazy. But, but the reality is everything's going to go away. Every, nothing's going to last. Everyone's going to die. And our accomplishments, as great as it may be, is still very temporary. It's still just right now. And there is, what, why are we here? And why does our lives matter? The, and then um, I'm sure you guys have talked about how he, he, Solomon kind of addresses the fact that life doesn't make sense. Why is there so much injustice? Some, why do some who love God and who follow God, they face tragedy, and some who are terrible and arrogant and selfish, and they get the rewards? It doesn't seem to make sense. Even with the great wisdom of Solomon, it, doesn't, it still doesn't make sense to him. And, and, and the reality is, as Solomon has continued to ask, his life never satisfies. It doesn't satisfy. We can go after everything, and, and we can achieve everything that we could ever want. And we can, st- and we can still see that these things do not, sac- do not satisfy. Well, you can get all the sex and the drugs, the love and the family, the wealth and the accomplishment, the fame and the likes, all those things you can get. And it might give you a momentary uh, uh, time of joy, but it's not significant. It does not fully satisfy. And this is where, and, and this is what uh, Solomon has been wrestling with, and this is what gets us to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I'm going to start reading with verses 1 through 3. Ecclesiastes verses 1 through 3. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. And so it says, But all this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so the sinner, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who he is is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness in their hearts while they are while they live and after they go to the dead. And as we look at this, like we're seeing how it doesn't matter if you are living this way or that way, we're all going to experience the same struggles in this life. We're all going to experience joy. We're going to experience love. But we're also going to experience hate. We're going to experience struggle, no matter what we do. And this speaks to God's sovereignty. This is God's sovereignty. No matter what happens, God is in control. The definition of, uh, of God's sovereignty is God's absolute and unrivaled rule over all his creation and their circumstances. This is, this is God who is in control of everything. And so we can live, we should live good lives. We should live to honor God. But it, you know, at the same time, it's not going to change how, it doesn't mean all of our stuff is going to be great. All of our lives is going to be perfect. It doesn't work that way. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it talks about the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He controls everything. He is in charge of all things. And, and we can do everything we can to try to control our, our lives, to try to be in control. But we are not. Fact is, guys, we are not in control. We can think we're in control. 
but we are definitely not in control. Whether you do good things and or bad things, we all face love and hate. Doing good things doesn't necessarily equal a good life. Doing bad things doesn't necessarily equal a bad life. As this passage says, it doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked, good or evil, if you make the sacrifices or not sacrifices, if you're religious or irreligious, no matter how you are, we still will find love and hate, and we can't predict what we get. Everyone will experience both. It's like, um, and the Bible is full of examples of this, but, but uh, the one I want to bring up is Joseph in Genesis. And how, man, that guy, he, he does like, he, he lives a pretty good life, right? He's a really faithful kid. He did everything that you're supposed to do. There's some flaws there, right? Just like in anyone else. But man, that guy, he's living a good life, right? And, and what is his reward for that? What does he get for living a good life? What does he get for, for doing his best to honor God? Well, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I know, like, I have two kids, like, two boys. So, yeah, I see how brothers fight, all right? But, like, can you imagine your brother fighting, like, hating you that much to sell you into slavery? They wanted to kill him first, right? And, and, then, and then he goes and he serves God. And even with all the advances of his master's wife, he still resists that temptation. He does the right thing. But what does he get? He still ends up unjustly in prison. That's where he goes. That's what he receives. And so we can see no matter what, you can live a good life. You can do everything you can to honor God. But it doesn't necessarily equal uh, the riches and the, the rewards that we would assume. The bottom line is, guys, is we are not in control. We are not in control. And we get in trouble when we think we're in control, or we get in trouble when we think we can be in control, but someone's keeping us from that. Okay, this usually leads, when we try to control everything, it usually leads to anxiety, it leads to insecurity, because we can get overwhelmed at all the things that are around us, all the things that we are worried about. At any moment, right, we can get into a traffic accident. At any moment, we can be stricken with a disease. At any moment, our life savings can just disappear, right? We can, at any time, we can get engulfed by a worldwide pandemic. Wasn't that crazy? There was a worldwide pandemic. Who could have guessed that? Who could have predicted that? But that happened, and it was completely out of control, out of our control. All of these things are scary thoughts. And all these things can be debilitating if that's what you focus on. But guys, don't worry. If you think this is bad news, Solomon doubles down on the bad news and talks about God's sovereignty on death. We will all face death. In verse 3, it talks about how we will all die. It says, The hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. We all end up dead. That's like how this ends. And, and we don't know when that will be. God is in control of that. We have no control over this. We have no control, but we put it in God's hand. God is in control. And, and so, and, and so we got to understand, like, like even in everything that we do, and, and, like we face the good and the bad in life, but we also know we're going to die. It's such a total, like Solomon, such a total downer here. 
Just like in love and our hate, in death, we also are subject to God's sovereignty in death. And we, and we got to understand it doesn't matter whether you're old or young, tall or short. It doesn't matter. And, and, and we don't like that. But that's the, tr- the true reality. But then when we think about not being in control, and we can focus on the, what we are not able to control, but, you know, if we focus it on the other side, if we focus it on God, hey, God is in control. That changes things. If you truly understand who God is, understand who is in control, it changes things. Because we can find hope and we can find peace knowing that a loving, all-powerful God is taking care of us. Right? It's like during the pandemic when COVID hit and we started to realize just kind of the extent of it. Right? At first it was like, oh yeah, we get a few days off, that's awesome. And then after a while it's like, dude, when is this going to end? And what is going to happen? Right? It's like everything is shut down. Well, what about my job? I have no job. And I have no money. I have no income. And then where's, where's the, where, where am I going to get what I need? There's no economy. Like what's going on? Where will I live? Where will I get food? Am I going to die? Like every time I step out and didn't touch anything or I talk to anybody, it's like, I'm going to die, right? We are everything was out of our control. And, and we just felt like everything that we relied on to keep ourselves safe, everything that we relied on to have control over our wealth and our health, all those things were taken away. And all of a sudden, we felt so out of control with everything. Guys, reality is, is we never had control, okay? We think we have control, but we never had control. But, but this goes in two ways, because God's sovereignty is actually a source of peace if we allow it to. It could seem like a bummer that we can't control things, but in reality, it is a blessing that our all-knowing, all-powerful, unconditionally loving God is in control. Because no matter what happens, we know it's for something, right? Psalm 97, it says, The Lord reigns. Let the, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. We should rejoice about this fact. We should, not, we should not be down about the fact that we are not in control, but we should rejoice that the God of the universe is fully in control even when everything seems to be falling apart, even when we have this, this great uh, pandemic and, and the earthly things, oh, the, 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 the structures are all like falling apart, even if the zombie apocalypse hits, right? It's going to be okay. God is in control somehow. Somehow God is in control. There is hope in God's sovereignty. There is hope in that. And there is way more hope in that than in toilet paper, okay? Because seriously, when people lost all of their safety and whatever, what do they do? Where do they go to find hope? Toilet paper. Like, what in the world? I was like, this is like not even an issue. Like, I can use all of their things. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into it maybe. But I was, I was going to get into it, but maybe, I don't know, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you can talk to me later. But there's many things you can do to take care of that. Like toilet paper, it was the last thing I was worried about. But man, people needed hope. And guess what they grab to? Guess what they gravitate towards when they don't have God? 
They go to toilet. They go to the foolish things, thinking that is something. But that is how fragile people's hope is because they don't trust in the sovereignty of God. So let's go on to verses 4 through 9 in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil uh, be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So, as much he's been, Solomon's been talking about how, how difficult, the, 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 the kind of the negatives of, of what we face in our lives, the challenges and the struggles. But what he's, he's trying to have us understand here is life itself is a blessing. Life itself, we are blessed. It's a lot more of a blessing compared to death. And it compares the living dog to a, do, uh, to a dead lion, right? Living dog compared to a deadline. So let's think about that, right? Living dog. Who, how many of you guys own a dog? Yes? Okay, we have some dog people here. All right, what are some of the benefits of having a dog? They love you. Okay, at least we think they love us. But yes, yes, they love us, right? I mean, we really feel loved by our dogs, right? Yeah, it's true. Anything else? What's that? He's what? Cats? You like cats? Okay, that's okay. I won't, I won't comment because I'm very allergic to cats. All right? Okay? But uh, yes, oh, but they do, they do keep the cats away if you really hate cats. But right. So anyway, yeah, dogs can bring comfort to us, right? Like I said, it, it brings joy. It brings us, it brings, like it takes away some of our stress. It also gives us some level of, uh, teaches us responsibility and purpose. And uh, what's that? Unconditional love. That dog's going to love you, okay? No matter, no matter what your day is like, no matter how you screwed up your day, when you come home, your dog's going to always love you, right? It's better than my kids, right? My kids, <laughs> when I come home, I can do the greatest thing, and my kids are like, oh, you're home, right? They're just playing, whatever, okay? And uh, it's the hero's welcome, right? Like, come in, and it's like, whatever, dad. All right, and so, but that's, but that our dogs provide, our living dogs has a lot of advantages. But what about a dead lion? A dead lion is just like a rotting carcass, right? It's like something you have to take care of. It's a messy, smelly mess, right? And so that's definitely worse than a living dog. And Solomon is helping us to see that any life, no matter how difficult, is a blessing. There is blessing in life. When we enjoy the life that God has given us, uh, we can see the, the advantages, the blessing of life. Living, uh, the, it talks about here, living has uh, consciousness, hope. He knows nothing. All right, the dead has no knowledge or no hope of reward or anything. The living have the passions of love and hate and envy. 
Dead has none. Living as a reward from labor, from being productive. There is a, there is a feeling of satisfaction, right, when you accomplish something. The dead has none of those rewards. This list of living versus dead is kind of obvious, being the, the dead part half offers nothing. But the point here, the point that Solomon is making is not what death is or isn't. The point here is to stop wasting godly opportunities in your life. God provides you with a ton of opportunities for joy, for blessing in this life. And many times we ignore that. Many times we would rather be worried about our future, worried about our struggles. And, and so many times we need to... Um, realize that love, that life has blessing, that our life, no matter how bad it is, is a blessing. Um, if you guys may have heard of Leo Tolstoy, he's a, one of the greatest authors of all time, and he wrote some of the greatest novels of all time. Uh, probably his greatest is War and Peace. But at some point, he started to question, question his legacy and his life. At some point, he started to realize that as great as these works of art is that he's creating, he's going to die, and his memory is going to die. And he realized, what am I doing this for? And he asks this question, all right? He says, my question, that which, is, which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying lying in the soul of every man, a question without the answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? I mean, Tolstoy is, is having a crisis in his life. And he, he realizes that none of this is going to last. It's the questions that Solomon talks about. And he is just destroyed by the idea that none of this actually matters in the long run. See, as great as his works of art are, they will fade away. As great as we are, as great as we can do in this world, as much as we can accomplish great things in this world, at the end of the day, it's going to fade away. And eventually, it'll be a distant memory. So what's the point? To, to, to Tolstoy, it caused him to be suicidal. It hindered him from writing for a while. And so Tolstoy could not let go of the inevitabilities of death, of, of life and death, and he lacked an ability to, to handle his lack of control on his life. And, and, and so for us, when, the, when we ponder these questions, it, it can be really difficult because it is kind of depressing if all you're looking at is what is around us. Solomon calls us to focus on the right things, Tolstoy was focused on his lack of control, on death and fading away. But what Solomon uh, calls us to do is to focus on the blessings of God, the opportunities for enjoyment. Like God allows us, like wants us to enjoy life. Uh, he he, he focuses on the rewards of hard work and to, to focus on the love that we have with the people in our lives and to others and, and to focus on the reality that God who is loving to us, is in control. 
And God's practical blessings here, he talks about different things like food and wine and clothes and lotions, oils, right? And, uh, and wife and family. Okay, that's my family there. We're on vacation. Went to White Sands. It's kind of cool uh, in New Mexico. It looks like a, a different planet. But um, these are some of the things that I love, right? And yes, half of those pictures are food. Okay, I'm sorry. But uh, yes, I love these things. And guess what? I can enjoy these things as long as I'm honoring God, as long as I am doing this for his glory. And guys, we should not waste these opportunities. We should not waste these opportunities. We should not waste opportunities to love our family, right? We have a limited time to enjoy our family. So we need to get over our grudges and our struggles, get over our preferences and our divisions and our disappointments and start focusing on the blessing that we are given here to enjoy this in our lives. And there are many blessings that we can find in this world. We're allowed to enjoy all of these things. And it should be something that should bring blessing to our lives and to our hearts. And we can, we can enjoy all of it because none of us deserve it. This is all a gift from God. None of it will last forever. So while it is here, we should enjoy that blessing. And so we may not have all the control in the world. We may not be able to control a lot of other things. But one thing we can control is what we focus on. If we focus on God, if we keep our eyes fixed on Him, if we are striving to honor Him, no matter what you face, we can see God's blessing. We can see this in Paul in in Philippians. He, in in this book, this book is all about joy, right? But like these terrible things are happening to Paul. He's going to jail. He's, he's, uh, he's uh, unjustly prisoned, right, imprisoned. He, he's, uh, he's got these fellow preachers that are, that are, like, attacking him personally and trying to make him look, back, look bad, and he's facing death here. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, we can see his focus um, uh, manifested. In verse 13, it says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We can see that Paul gets thrown into prison. When he shouldn't be, he's thrown into prison. But guess what? He doesn't focus on he being in prison. He focuses on God. He shares the gospel. And it's obvious. He says it's obvious to, to everybody that that he is here for God. That means he's preaching. He's telling people about Jesus. Can you imagine? He's, he's like chained to a guard, right? Can you imagine being that guard, all right? And Paul just keeps talking, right? And, and so that's what he was doing. He was still focused on God. All these guys, all his colleagues are, 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 are you know, talking trash about him and making him look bad. And what does he say? He's focused on God. He's focused on the fact that, wow, more people are hearing about Jesus. He's focusing on the fact that his imprisonment has made them bold. So now they can go and serve God. To Paul, the difficulties were real. He was facing them every day, but he, didn't ch- he chose not to focus on that. He chose to focus on God. Let's go to verses 10 and 12. Whatever your hand finds to do, 
Do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now God calls on us to maximize our lives. Hey, whatever you can do, do that. Do it to the best of your abilities. Invest, like put it all, get, get it all in there, right? Do you want to make sure that, that when we are given opportunities, we will go after that, take advantage of that, and we will put our whole lives into all of this. Whatever gifts or talents or passions you have, you will utilize that. Just like Paul did when he's in prison. He utilized all his gifts, and, and he honored God with all of it. So we need to do everything we can. To, to honor God, to work diligently. And then what we see, the, the, there's a contrast here between uh, 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 verse 10 and then verses 11 to 12. Because verse 10, it tells us, hey, we need to work diligently. We need to put all of our efforts and our energy into what God has given us to do. But then in verse 11 and 12, it tells us that working diligently doesn't necessarily equal success. Right? It's talking about these, 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 these people who are gifted, who, who are great and like they're elite people that are the fastest, the strongest, the wisest, the smartest, the most educated. And none of it matters. None of it matters. Because again, we are not in control. None of it matters. Because intelligence or athleticism does not guarantee earthly rewards. We, we're not going to get rich off of that. Right? You know, like you look at YouTube, like what's the... The, the highest-grossing YouTube channel, it's this dude, Mr. Beast, right? Who, who cares? Like, you know, and he's just making these dopey videos. But, you know, the Christian channels, they don't do anything. They don't make any money off of that. But, hey, that's the reality, is that, that we can have the, the, the answer to the world. But it's not necessarily going to benefit us in earthly rewards. You know, and, and it talks about earthly rewards being like winning and, and having wealth and having prestige. These are earthly rewards that are just not guaranteed, no matter how good you are. And in verse 12, again, it takes it down to another level. Because in verse 12, it talks about how death still looms. Whether you're successful or not successful, death is still coming. You're not going to stop that. It doesn't even help you with life because we have no idea how much this life we have left, right? Death is always coming. Death is always a possibility. We never know. And we see this, uh, again, with Paul. As far as we know, Paul was very intelligent, educated, wise. He worked diligently. It's great sacrifice to himself. And how was he rewarded? He was rewarded with prison, with personal attacks. He was rewarded with physical harm, continuous, continuously being threatened for his life. And at the very end, he was martyred. For Jesus. That was his earthly rewards. So again, it's another reminder. God is sovereign. God is in control. And God is using whatever happens in our lives for his glory. We are limited and it's okay because God is greater. 
And thankfully, when it comes to earthly rewards, that's not really why we're here, right? That's not why we're here. The earthly rewards, that's not an indication of God's love for you. It doesn't matter how successful you are in this world. That's not an indication of, hey, God loves me more, God loves me less. Earthly rewards do not lead to a prosperous life. Earthly rewards do not satisfy. You can eat all the Korean barbecue you want, man. Like, it's not going to satisfy, right? Eventually, you're just going to throw up, right? It just doesn't satisfy, all right? And there's this uh, psychological theory called the hedonic treadmill that, that backs us up, that we all it tells us that we all have this baseline of happiness in our lives. It might be different from person to person, but we all have this baseline. And when good things happen, we, that, that happiness, it kind, of, it kind of tends to bump up a little bit, right? We have the, our happiness level goes up, but over time, things get old. You get used to it, and you just revert back to the baseline. And the same with bad things. When, when bad things happen, we gain struggle, we get stressed, and, and, and we, we have these challenges, but when you get over it. You get over it, and you get right back to the baseline of happiness. When you think about it, that's the futility of chasing after what the world offers us. Even in, in psychology, it tells us it doesn't work. It's not good. All these things we think we need to find satisfaction to find purpose, to find distinction. It doesn't impact us in our joy. It doesn't help. Nothing on this earth can bring you the hope and the significance that, only, that can only come from God. That is God's true rewards. His true rewards are the truly fulfilling things. It's the spiritual rewards that we seek to gain. That's the spiritual rewards are the things that we need. And those are the things that we can fully understand and take in and maximize the life that we have. That's where we find fulfillment and purpose and love that we all seek, every one of us. Every one of us are asking these questions. Whether you're a Christian or not, you are asking these questions. Why should I live? Why does my life matter? We need there's something inside of us that needs to have, that needs to find that significance in our lives. And so before I finish up, let me tell you where to find that spiritual rewards that we need. And, and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Being imprisoned unjustly, being chained to a guard, and then being verbally attacked by, by his uh, fellow preachers and, and who are trying to gain spiritual, I mean, uh, uh, their own uh, glory in, in all of this. We see how, uh, how Paul talks about this okay in philippians chapter 2 verses 3 to 4 it says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others see this is not paul's not trying to tell the, these guys what they should be he's trying to tell them who he is in response to his fellow preachers who are attacking him, Paul emphasizes an attitude of humility. Be humble. Put others ahead. To Paul, God's kingdom, God's purposes are more important than him looking good or him taking the credit. Paul says be humble and lift others up. And if you take a look closely at, uh, in verse 3, the word conceit there, 
That word conceit literally means empty glory. It means empty glory. The implication is that these preachers who are trying to, to, to gain this glory, to try to gain some significance, it's empty. It might feel good for a moment, but in reality, it's empty. It's like, uh, it's like eating donuts. Those are just empty calories, right? They're just sugar and fat, and it just, yeah, it's so good! But, yeah, it's bad for you, right? It's, like we, it's not very nutritious. And so we need to chase after the things that are, that are, that are greater than that. These, these guys, they try to lift themselves up, but their glory is meaningless. It is empty glory. So too many times, though, in our lives, too many times, if we're being honest, we chase after empty glory. We chase empty glory through pleasure, through accomplishments, in order to gain spiritual glory that we all look for. We all look for spiritual glory. Whether you're an atheist or not, we all look for spiritual glory. And Paul's rivals were chasing empty glory. They were seeking praise from other people. That is just empty glory. The earthly rewards that Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastics, the winning, the wealth, the prestige, those are all earthly rewards. It is empty glory. But as Christians, we should be seeking spiritual glory. The glory that comes from God. The glory that can fill us completely. The, the empty glory fills us for a moment. Spiritual glory fills us for eternity. Unfortunately, most people try to find a spiritual glory from earthly success. And it never works. We do this all the time. Just like Tolstoy trying to find purpose through his writings and through his fame. Just like Paul's rivals trying to gain significance through their ministry. Over and over again, we seek to find an earthly answer to a spiritual problem. This can only be filled with spiritual glory, the emptiness in our, inside of us, these questions that we have, this desire for significance is only found in spiritual glory. The more we struggle with uh, what King Solomon has been pondering through this book, uh, the more we realize we need something else. Because Solomon had everything, right? He had all the girls, he had all the money, he had all the wisdom. It wasn't enough. And so, how do we receive God's glory? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let's go there. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In verse 7, this passage talks about Jesus. He emptied himself, right? The word emptied is very similar to the word conceited. They're trying to share the same root. Conceit means empty glory. People strive for empty glory. But when you use the word here, emptied, it means to be emptied out, to drain. Okay, so this is the idea that Jesus, he emptied himself of his self-interest. He emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his deity. Jesus did not stop being God, but he emptied himself of his glory. He, he released his glory. He let it go. Next, next week on Good Friday, 
when we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, let's remember that he willingly sacrificed his glory. He didn't just die physically. He sacrificed his glory. Next week on Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we need to remember that when he conquered the grave, he gave us the opportunity to receive the spiritual glory that Jesus willingly gave up. He emptied himself in order to fill us with his glory. And guys, as Christians, we are given this spiritual glory that we need, that we desire, that we are all looking for, that our lives are significant because we live for eternity. We don't fade away. We We are not insignificant. Death may be looming, but there is no sting because we are significant because we have eternal lives. Our lives make sense because we know that our all-powerful, loving God who showed that love to us on the cross by sacrificing himself, he is in control. He is in control of everything. And so he truly loves us and he truly desires the best of us even when we are struggling even when we're facing the most difficult things in our lives. The God of the universe is still loving us. He's still taking care of us. Our lives are satisfied because we don't have this cheap, empty glory that this world offers. We have the infinite spiritual glory that brings us a life full of purpose, a life full of significance, a life of hope and love. And so I want to challenge you guys today to stop chasing after empty glory, to take a look at your life. What are the things that you are chasing that is just empty, that does not bring significance? I'm going to challenge you guys to stop chasing after that. You'll never have enough money, enough sex, enough admiration, enough accomplishments. Stop trying to solve a spiritual problem with an earthly solution. Stop chasing empty glory. In fact, guys, stop chasing spiritual glory because the reality is what you need to chase after is a life that is completely honoring to God, a life that is fully committed to him, a life that honors him over ourselves, a life that is, it honors him over our dreams, over our desires, over our self-interests. When we do that, we automatically get the glory of God. We are automatically blessed with spiritual glory. Because spiritual glory is a byproduct of a life surrendered to Jesus. A life that just seeks to follow him in every aspect of life. We get spiritual glory just as a byproduct of that. So I want to challenge you guys today to look at your lives. Challenge you to let go of the things that that are not honoring God. To let go of the things that are all about yourselves. But to, to, to refocus on him. To put, your, to put your life squarely in his hands. To know that what he has to offer is so much greater than anything else. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so thankful, Lord, when we think about what you sacrificed for us, what you gave to us, oh God. Lord, it's overwhelming. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, oh God, to seek you. That you would help us to strive to follow you. 
that you would open our eyes to areas that we have not given to you, and that you give us the boldness and the strength to release those things so that we can follow you. I pray, oh God, for each person here that they would enjoy your presence, that they would be filled with your glory so they can find all the joy and the love and the hope that, they, that we all seek, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. amen.